Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. morning, South Hills. It's good to be with you. Uh, again, love Chris. And as they've been a part of our lives, me and my wife, Taylor, for the last six to seven years now, uh, couldn't trust them more than we do. Any big decision we've had, we've talked to them about it. When Taylor and I, before we got married, they did our premarital counseling. They counseled us after we got married. Uh, these past few months, me and Taylor have been talking about the possibility of going from dog parent to actual parent, going from JV to varsity, so to speak. And they were who we called. We went over, we sat down, we had a conversation about it. What does it mean to be a parent? Can we be ready? Everyone here knows that the answer is no. But they were able to be be there to say, but when you do step into that, you have people around you who love you, who support you. Um, So again, dear friends, it's an honor to be here. And I want to say thank you to you, South Hills. Um, You may not know for what, but our church in Santa Ana used to meet uh, in the high school. And so when COVID shut everything down, we didn't have a place to meet. We actually stopped meeting. Uh, We started doing stuff online. We had nothing online before that. My first message online was filmed by Taylor, who held an iPhone in front of me in a corner of our apartment while I gave a message. It was a rough go of it, to say the least, and everything that 2020 brought on. I just want to say, as someone who is stepping in as the lead pastor of a church, year one for me was 2020. I feel like it's got to get better from here. (laughs) Please, God. (laughs) And it was a challenge. It was a challenge for us as a community. It was challenging for me personally. There were so many times where I felt like, man, I think I stepped into the wrong thing. I thought I heard God. Maybe that wasn't God, actually. Uh, And you guys have been an encouragement. We needed somewhere to film worship. You guys have let us film worship in your building during the week so that we can have it for our online service. We had our first in-person gathering of the year out on this patio on a Sunday night. We got to gather our volunteers for the first time to worship. And it's through your generosity. It's through Dion being helpful and helping us get set up for worship. It's through Kathy organizing all that. All of that is because of you and your generosity here as a part of this church. There's another church in another city that's been able to connect and hang on to hope through you guys. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You guys have been um, an incredible support, whether you know it or not. So thank you from Emmaus to you guys. We appreciate y'all. We are going to continue in a series called How to Kill Relationships. We're in the week three of that. We're going to be talking about wisdom in our relationships. We all have experience in killing relationships. So Chris brought in an expert. Nice to meet you. Um, Chris always invites me for the like nice, soft, easy topics. Like last time I taught on lust and sexual sin. And here I'm going to talk about the number one predictor of divorce in a relationship. So, you know, it's good to see you again. Thank you, Chris. You're the best. I just want to say thank you. Next time I'm teaching on the love of God, whether you like it or not. So thank you very much. Uh, but I want to pray for us and then we'll jump in to the message. So let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, I believe that you can actually make this morning a turning point in relationships. Uh, I believe that you can be a part of healing relationships that need healing, that a, the trajectory of a marriage can be turned this morning. 
But I believe that we need you to do that. I don't think it's going to be a talk by me. I think it's going to be a movement of your spirit in people, in this community that provides healing and the support that's needed to see new life, to see life where we thought there could be none, to see hope arise. And so we need you this morning, God. We stop to pray and acknowledge that, that we're a people that are dependent on you. So would you meet us as we come before you? Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we're talking about how do we apply wisdom in relationships. We've all had experiences where relationships have broken down. And we know the very obvious things that can kill relationships. Um, there are obvious things like acting selfishly, um, a relationship without trust or without boundaries. You can be late to one too many dates. There are like obvious ways that you can mess this thing up. And sometimes there are less obvious ways that we actually need to pay more attention to. I didn't grow up going to church, and so all of my relationships, family relationships, dating relationships, pre-Jesus, were pretty unhealthy, were broken. Um, I didn't have any sort of like, this is how you do it. I just mimicked what I saw around me. I remember I was really, really excited as a young man to be a part of my first like Christian dating relationship. I did it right. I prayed beforehand. I made sure that I was you know, motivated for the right reasons. We started dating for a few months and then that relationship died. And I was like, hold on a second. Prayed about this. Jesus, I'm doing things your way now. So what, what's going on? And then a month later, I found out from uh, this young woman's friend that I had lost that relationship because I'd failed to make a move physically on our dates and whatnot. And I was like, hold on a second. Jesus said, no move making, make no moves. And now I'm killing relationships on accident. So I'm just saying, you have a speaker this morning who will kill relationships in obvious ways and unobvious ways. Sometimes we need help figuring that out. I remember when I was first dating my wife, not being sure about how soon it was to reply to a text message. Like she just texted me. If I text back immediately, does that seem like too eager? Do I need to play it cool? And just like, you know, let her wait a half hour. Because if I text a little too soon, then she might think I'm too into it and I don't want to kill it on accident. We have different ways that we worry about breaking down our relationships. Now, we want to know what kills relationships. We also need to come to an agreement on what makes a healthy relationship, what makes a strong relationship. And we could have our lists about what's important, whether that's compassion, empathy, a relationship where you feel heard, where people listen to one another a relationship with kindness, a relationship where you can laugh and joke and not take yourself seriously, feel comfortable. Now we can create lists and some of ours might look a little bit different or maybe we would prioritize them differently, but I can guarantee that on every list of what makes a healthy relationship would be communication. And I wanna just say communication beyond what you say. So not just the content, not just the things that actually come out of your mouth, but the way that you say them. How many of you have been a part of a conversation, a talk, where you've heard the phrase, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Amen, church. That's the most vocal you've been all morning. So let me just say, we welcome that. I welcome that. My church, a little more Pentecostal-ish. So you can talk to me today. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. The content of what you said wasn't wrong or broken or off at all. It was right on point. But how you said it 
actually discourages me from engaging in the conversation. It's actually preventing us from moving forward. The book of Proverbs um, shares a lot of wisdom, not only on our words, but the power that they have. Proverbs 11.9 says this. With their words, the godless destroy their friends, but knowledge will rescue the righteous. Proverbs 12.18. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Proverbs is clear that your words, they have power to bring healing, to bring life, or to destroy. One of the Proverbs there just compared it to actual physical violence, that it pierces someone, that our words can do real damage. I think we all acknowledge that those words have power, but I want to make sure, make sure that we're clear that it has an added emphasis as a community of people who would say, I'm, I'm seeking to follow Jesus. I'm actually here because I believe that following Jesus is better than following myself. I've actually committed to a relationship with him. And so for us, if you're following Jesus, what that means is what he's committed to, I'm now committed to. That Jesus's commitments are my commitments. And one of the things that Jesus is committed to, it's people. And your words are always going to matter because we believe that people matter. Whether they believe like us or not. Whether they share our views or not, we believe that everyone is born with inherent, irrevocable value. That every person on the face of the earth that you come into contact with uniquely reflects who God is. That the divine creator can be seen to your left and to your right this morning. And so our words matter because people do. So they're always going to matter, not just how we say these things, but the ways that we say them. I mentioned earlier that what we're talking about today is the number one predictor of divorce in a relationship. And that's contempt. Contempt is not about what you're saying, but it's about how you're saying it. To speak with contempt is to speak as someone speaking to someone who's lesser. It's a manner of condescension. It's speaking with superiority. It's a tone that is mocking or mimicking. It's the rolling of the eyes. I used to get bopped on the head every time I'd roll my eyes. And that's putting it kindly. My mother was very sweet to me most of the time. An eye roll will get you a quick bop. I'm sure sometimes my wife wants to give me a quick bop when I roll my eyes. But when we look at relationships, we discover that these behaviors are actually really acidic, that they burn everything that they touch. Uh, Dr. John Gottman was a professor at the University of Washington, founder of the Gottman Institute, has done 40 years of work on relationships, studied body language, studied communication. He was included in a book written by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. And part of it was, What's incredible about Gottman is he could spend 15 minutes observing a couple interact with one another about anything and predict with 84% accuracy whether or not that marriage would end in divorce. In 15 minutes. And it would go from 84% to 
to 94% if he spent 30 minutes with you. How terrifying is that? You know who I'm not going on a double date with? John Gottman. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Don't observe me. Don't watch me. Maybe we get Zoom, you know, have a Zoom date. But terrifying. And one of the number one indicators on how our relationship was doing was this idea of contempt. Do they communicate with contempt? Is there hostility in the communication beyond what they say, but how they say it? Do they mock one another? Do they mimic one another? Do they speak down to one another? In some ways, are very obvious when someone's being harsh or cruel or mean. And other ways will be more subtle. Small statements like, how could you think that? You should know that. Everybody knows. Or even morally superior, I would never do that. Can I tell you one word that's not helping you in any of your conversations? It's the word just. If you just, I'm just asking you to, it's just because the word just makes whatever you're requesting seem simple and it makes the person who's hearing it feel like they're not competent enough to do simple things. Because when you throw in just, it's like, hey, it's just this and you can't seem to just do, so what's wrong with you? And there are these subtle ways that burn us and wound us in relationships. And we've all experienced this feeling of being made to feel less than, unimportant, without value, even to the point of feeling worthless. We've all went through that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my mom was going through her photo albums. I realized this in first service. Some of y'all are too young to know what a photo album is, so let me break it down real quick. We used to have photos. We used to pay someone to develop these photos. You brought them back home, you went through them, you picked out the good ones, and you put them in this, like, book of photos. And there was, like, this plastic that went over it. It's great. My mom likes to go through those, and she sends me photos of me and my brother just randomly because my mom loves us, and so what she does. So she sent me this photo a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Batman, that's your boy here, and that's my younger brother, Colin. They are a Superman, the faces of justice here. Uh, I love this photo. When I saw that photo... It took me back to exactly who I was as a kid. This Batman costume was my costume for like three straight years because I loved it. I got to feel buff there. It's just like it's got the abs already built in. It was a good time, and I loved it. Batman was my favorite. My mom had to say like, yeah, we got to try a new costume at some point. But I remember I loved it because when I was a kid, that was one of the rare times, rare moments in the year where I felt good. I felt strong. I felt confident. Um, going through school, I was in speech therapy as a kid. Um, I was in speech therapy. I had to see a speech therapist after school. And when you realize, oh, there's something wrong with the way that I talk, as a kid especially, at least for me, the question was, well, what's wrong with me? I can't do something as simple as talking. And then to add on to that, you don't see me smiling because I try not to smile in photos as a kid, because I had a huge gap between my teeth. So I had a speech impediment, huge gap between my teeth, and on top of that, I had a really, really high voice, like Mike Tyson-type high voice. So I had speech issues. I sounded funny. I was uncomfortable talking, and 
Kids can be cruel sometimes. And I was made fun of frequently. And it became a scary thing to be heard, to open my mouth and say something because I was going to be mocked or mimicked. And it was painful. And you feel like less than. You feel like, why can't I do this simple thing like talk? Everyone else is doing it. I'm not, this speech therapy class isn't full. It's just me and my teacher. And you feel like less than. Contempt creates that kind of an environment in your relationships, whether you believe it or not. It creates an environment where someone feels bullied or someone feels dehumanized. And so we're not really surprised when relationships deteriorate, when someone doesn't want to be seen or someone doesn't want to be heard. That's why contempt is so acidic in our relationships because it prevents you from engaging in the things that'll heal your relationship. In order for your relationship to heal and grow, you need to be able to be vulnerable. In order to be vulnerable, you have to be able to speak. But if there's this constant nagging that, man, I can't speak because when I speak, I feel like less. It's acidic and it kills relationships. Now, I want to talk about tools, ways that we can combat this sort of interaction. But before I do, before we get into, hey, here are some practices, here are some tools, here are some ways that you can improve the way that you communicate with friends, with family, maybe with your spouse. I need to, I just need to preface this. I've been in church preaching sermons for a while now, and I've sat and I've listened and I've heard churches or sermons preach to me about relating. But something we all know, whether you're watching online or you're here, is relationships are complicated. And people are complicated. And relationships have histories. And we've been molded by our relationships for years. Relationships at home, relationships at school, with family. And so sometimes it's easy to give simple advice. Hey, I know contempt is tough and it's difficult. Just do these three things. And that can almost be more damaging. So I want to offer you tools today, but some of you guys are carrying in real pain and real hurt and real wounds. And it's not going to be as simple as, hey, here are these three steps, just do these things and it'll be okay. So I don't want to make light of anyone's pain this morning. Relationships are complicated. It's okay to be nuanced. We want to be wise in how we apply what we're talking about today, but I do want to share some tools. Now, here's a absolute, can't be overstated, game changer in relationships, and especially in a contemptuous relationship. It's gratitude. Now, let me tell you why. Gratitude enables you to, number one, appreciate and be affectionate. I can't appreciate what I have and acknowledge, and gratitude gives me what I need in order to appreciate someone in a relationship. Because Conflict and tension and pain and hurt will make me really myopic and really focused on a small part or a small thing. What I know about everybody here, every single person here, what I'm absolutely confident in is over the last 12 months, 
you've had to persevere and fight through some things. Whether it's at home, whether it's in church, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your marriage or with your family, what I'm confident about is you are here this morning, not by accident, but you've persevered through some things. And let me just say, if I'm in a battle or a fight of any kind, I need to know two things. Everything that I have, every resource that I have that's gonna help me in this fight and what I'm fighting for. And gratitude gives you both. Some of us think gratitude's some small thing. It's not, it's everything. Because gratitude will remind you of everything that you have to help you move forward. And it'll give you a clear reminder of what exactly you're fighting for. Because sometimes we forget that and we think we're fighting to be right. And let me just say being right is overrated. Being on the right side of an argument is overrated. But sometimes you get so myopic that we think that's the point. Gratitude will point you back to actually know I'm here because I'm grateful for my friend, my family member, my spouse. It humanizes when we're ready to dehumanize someone. When you're ready to make a demon out of somebody, gratitude will remind you of their inherent value, of the full picture of them, not just the part that you're frustrated with. So again, gratitude is going to enable you to keep your eyes on the right things with a fuller, more sober perspective than contempt will. And that's what we need in order to move forward in our relationships, in our friendships, is a more full perspective of the people in front of you. Those are the places where you can see healing happen. And that's the invitation for all of us, is that gratitude will enable appreciation. It'll enable affection, kindness. And when things are most difficult, you won't forget what you're fighting for. Now I wanna pray for us before we worship, before we continue, but I wanna pray for two people or two situations in specific. I'm not gonna ask you to identify yourself. All that matters is that you're aware because if you're aware, you can do that work with God. So we've talked about why contempt is painful, why it hurts, how it breaks things down. We've talked about how gratitude can change that. But we also need to talk about, again, where we're inviting God to meet us in that. Because some of us need to become aware, some of us need tools to do better, and some of us need healing. Because some of the pain that we've already brought in, we need God to meet us in. We need God to meet us there. Some of you have sat here for the last 20 minutes as I've been talking about contempt and what it looks like and what it sounds like. You've had in your head a relationship that you're already thinking about. You've had in your head conversations that happened today or yesterday or last week. You have specific phrases that were said to you. You can remember where you were, what it was about. I just want to pray for you this morning. As a church, we want to equip you with tools, with practices, but we also believe that God is able to bring healing through his spirit. So I want to pray for you. The second situation I want to pray for are our umbrellas. Just kidding. Some of you guys, I want you to hear this. You felt the sting of 
man, that's me. I do roll my eyes. I do belittle the concerns of those that I care about. I have mimics, I have mocked. And this is what I need you to hear. If you feel guilt or you feel shame about that, shame isn't gonna help you move forward. Shame isn't gonna enable you to make a change. Because in order to make a change, you might have to do something as spiritual, as spiritual as apologize. Own where you've related in a way that's been broken. But you're never gonna do that carrying the weight of shame. You're never gonna step into a relationship and say, hey, I realized the way that I've been talking to you, the way that we've communicated in the past, it's caused pain for you. In fact, when I think about it, I love you. I care about you. You matter to me. And I would never want to have you feel like less than when we're in conversations. Even when I'm frustrated, even when we disagree, even when we fight, I would never want you to leave that feeling like you're less than. And I've done that. And I'm sorry. You're never going to have the strength to say those words carrying the weight of shame. Shame is not your friend. Shame's not going to help you make a change. We don't need shame to follow God. So I want to pray for you if you're carrying that weight. So let's pray, and then we'll continue in worship. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.